Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we are starting a brand new series called In Tune. I want to take just a couple of minutes and explain to you what it's all about, okay? Um, We just finished walking through most of the book of James, and we ended in James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4, the the half-brother of Jesus is having this conversation with us about how our desires, which we all have, by the way, Okay, you're, you're born with desires, we're all, we're all born with them, but the key distinction that is made is that we're not born to be controlled by them, okay? And that's the hard piece, because they're so easy to, be, to take control of my life, I, I know that, and I'm sure you do too. And so James kind of led us up to this place where he's talking to us about being, being careful because our desires are more dangerous than we realize. They can lead us into sin. They can lead us into really kind of doubting what we already know to be true about God. In fact, they can even lead us into conflict with one another. You've probably all experienced that. Maybe you've even experienced conflict with you and God, conflict in your relationship with God. Maybe you're not sure about having a relationship with God. That leads us right into this series, a series called In Tune, where we're going to talk about how we can be in tune or get in tune with God. Now, I want to show you a picture real quick, okay? Take a look at this. Does anybody know what these are? Can anybody tell me? What is this weird contraption? Uh, can you raise your hand if you've physically seen these? Raise your hand if you've physically seen these. Okay, there's not a single person under the age of 40 raising their hands. Okay, maybe, maybe some of you did, but I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> if, if you know what these are, you know that the struggle is real, right? You'd come out and you'd turn on the TV. My children will never know. They'll never understand. They turn on the TV, they push the button, they go to the app, and instantaneously, everything is clear. They don't understand struggle. When I was growing up, we had something, I'm I'm not kidding, it looked exactly like this. It sat on top of the TV. You'd turn the TV on, you'd make sure this was plugged in, and then you'd have to, like, figure out the latitude and longitude of wherever this needed to go, and it was like a five-minute thing where you're trying to get the antenna to pick up the best, you know, wavelength, get it to figure out where it needed to be so your TV could actually be somewhat clear and not look like a snowstorm. Can anybody identify? Okay, a few of you. If you've ever had to use these, you know that there are times it's very difficult to kind of get things in tune, right? The idea of being in tune is, it's the idea of being in sync or being on the same page. It's the idea of being able to function well together. It's the idea of adjusting for precise function to bring something in harmony with. And so over the next three weeks as we lead up to Easter, we're going to talk about how we can adjust our lives. What are some of the practices, the things that we can do to adjust, to bring ourselves into this precise function with God? And really, I mean, to to be honest, can I share with you what I want to, to have happen? I want to be able to hear from him. I want to be able to know what he wants me to do. I want to be able to follow him and be in sync with God. And And I would tell you, even if you're not sure about God, 
Even if you're not sure about Jesus and the idea of having, having a relationship with, God, with Jesus, I would venture that if you come to the place where you believe God is real and, and all of this is real, you would want to be in tune with him. Well, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to talk about how you can be in tune with God. Some practices, some things that we can do to adjust like these, you know, we used to call them rabbit ears. Did you call them that? Yeah. We can adjust them like these rabbit ears so that we can be in tune with God. And it comes out of this verse in James chapter 4 that we ended with last week. Verse 8, it says this. Come near, or if you're, if you're used to like old translation, I remember, draw near. Do you remember that? Okay. Come near to God, and what will happen? He will come near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what we're going to try to do over the next three weeks is learn how we can come near to God so that he will come near to us. Now, I have a very serious question for you to get us started and to introduce our first topic in our In Tune series. Are you ready for this? Okay, very serious. Should you go shopping when you're hungry? <laughs> this is a serious question. I don't know why you're laughing. Okay, should you ever go shopping when you're hungry? Yes or no? Yes. Some of you said yes, some of you said no. Those, here's what I know about you. Those of you who said yes, don't pay the bills, okay? <laughs> <laughs> those, those of you who said no realize that that, that gets expensive. Why? Like, I don't, I don't do a lot of our, our, our grocery shopping. It's just not a part of my rhythm, but I do on occasion. And, and the problem is when I go shopping when I'm hungry, I am weak. Can I just tell you? Like, I just, I walk down the aisle. I start to see, see things, and everything I see looks like this. Let me show you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Everything I see. Now, I put this up here partly for my wife because my wife loves cheeseburgers. If you didn't know this about my wife, she just, like, that is her thing. She's, if I say to her, honey, I want to take you out for a fancy dinner, she's like, we're going to Five Guys? <laughs> you know? She just, she loves cheeseburgers. I, I praise Jesus for it because, you know, but anyway... I, I'm telling you, I walk through the aisles and I start looking around and I'm like, oh my word, like that, that looks so good. And here's the thing, that's not a problem as long as you don't ever leave the produce aisle, <laughs> right? You stay in the fruit and produce, you're, you're fine. But what I found is, and they do this on purpose, they put all the really good stuff like in the back so you have to go past every, like, I, don't, I hope nobody here owns a grocery store, but if they do, I think they're of the devil. Like they try to, <laughs> telling you, they're trying to get us. And eventually what ends up happening is you end up going home with not only things that look like this, but you end up going home with things that you don't need that look like a little bit like this. You end up going home with stuff like this and it's like, oh my word. Now who's hungry? Who's ready to quit? Now, good. Good, all right. Well, I've got you right where I want you. <laughs> what, why is that? Why is that? Why is it when we go shopping when we're hungry, we end up with things we don't want? Well, it, it, here's what I know. If something can capture your attention, it can control you. That's what I know. If something can get my attention... Like, if it can grab me, grab my attention, I know, I will want that. 
You know how I know this is true? We have an industry in the United States of America that spends almost $1 trillion a year. That's trillion with a T. They spend $900 billion. That's billion with a B. Okay, $900 billion a year gets spent on a little thing called advertising. Why? Because they know if they can capture my attention or your attention, they can control my wallet. Let me share with you a little bit about some advertising. Here's what I know about, about some popular brands. McDonald's spends $1 billion a year. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Imagine how much they only spend. Do you know they only spend 9% of what they make on advertising? You do the math. Okay? Domino's spends $500 million a year. Domino's is not even good pizza. Okay? Like, and they're spending half a billion dollars. Taco Bell, like $400 million. Wendy's, Subway, KFC, Pizza Hut, and Dunkin' Donuts all spend $200 million a year on advertising. Why? Because if they can get your attention, they can get you. I know that. I know that's true about me. I mean, the thing is, it, it goes like this. The things that we want, the way that we want to look, the, the places we want to go, the ways we want to feel, these things, when we see them or when, we, when somebody puts them in front of us, all of a sudden, we lose control. It takes con- control of us. Why is that? Here's why. There's something that is true about you and about me. The body has become our master. I know it. The body has become our master, and it's been that way for a long, long time. I see it. I want it. I desire it. The body becomes our master, and it's been that way for a long, long time. In fact, I would tell you it's been that way since the beginning. Don't believe me? Let me show you. I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, okay? In Genesis chapter 3, a couple things have already happened. So before we look at this, let me tell you what's already happened. Uh, humanity has already started. All of the world has been created. God placed Adam and Eve in, a, in, in the Garden of Eden, a place that had everything they would ever need or want. And he gave them boundaries. He says, here's what you're to do. You can eat of every fruit and tree of the, the garden except this one. Okay? And, and, and you're good to go there. Stay there. Okay? They lived in untested perfection or holiness and then one day something happened they're in the garden a serpent came along that serpent was being empowered or driven by satan himself the one who had already rebelled against god and he started to spread lies about god and god's boundaries and i want you to see what happened the woman was convinced by said lies what did he say he said hey did god really say you couldn't eat that fruit look at it it looks good God just doesn't want you to eat it because if you do eat of it, you'll be just like him. You'll see and think and and be just like him. Well, the woman was convinced, and I want you to see what she was convinced by. She saw that the tree was beautiful. It looked good. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. Like, that looks really good. Here's what's happening. It's captivating her. You get it? It's getting her attention. She's seeing it. It looks good. I want it. And what happens? She wanted the wisdom that she had been told it would give. 
So what did she do? If you've already read this or if you've heard this before, you know that the woman, she took some of the fruit and she ate it and then she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. He was captivated by something. The text doesn't tell us exactly what. I'm going to bet it's more than the fruit. Okay? Caught his attention. He's led astray. This has been happening since the beginning that the body has become our master and it's been that way for a very, very long time. And food that we talked about is really, literally just one example. So I have a question for you that I want us to wrestle with because if we're gonna get in tune with God, we've gotta wrestle with some of the things that lead us astray. And honestly, I would say uh, our desires can pretty quickly lead us astray. So here's the question. Are there any practices in the way of Jesus? Okay, we, we, we call, you know, if, if you're a, a, a Christ follower, we call ourselves Christians. We are, we are trying to practice the way of Jesus. We are trying to follow Jesus. Are there any practices in the way of Jesus that could help us break free, that could cause us to, to not be so controlled by our bodies, cause us to not be so controlled by our desires. Can you think of any practices? See, here's the, here's the good news. I think right away in the life of Jesus, we find uh, from, from this man that, that really the New Testament calls a second Adam. So it's, you've got Adam, okay? The, the, the word Adam really just means, it just means of the earth, okay? That, that was his, his name. Is there, a, is there a second one? Is there somebody else that can show us a different way? The answer is yes. Jesus is described as our second Adam and right away, he is tested in a similar way to how Adam and Eve were tested. And in the midst of that testing, I want you to see some practices that could help you and me break free. That could help us get back more in tune with God. The passage that talks about this testing is Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to see what practice? I'll tell you before I even read it to you what the practice is. The practice is Jesus spent time fasting. Now, I, that's a word that we don't use a lot. That's a word that's not practiced a lot for some reason in Christianity. And so today, as we talk about fasting, I hope to be able to reestablish for you uh, how fasting took place in the Bible, how it took place historically within Christianity, and then how we can hopefully readopt some of this here today because I think it would help us stop being so controlled by our bodies. Verse 1 says this, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And notice, Matthew describes for us that they knew right away what the purpose was. He was going to be tempted by the devil. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like what just happened in Genesis chapter 3, right? Then, in verse 2, goes on and it says this, after fasting... 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <clears throat> Duh. <laughs> right? I, 
I want to think that this is a, a typo, but it's not. It's not. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting. Did he drink water? Yes, of course. Your body can only go a few days without water. Your body can go a very long time, longer than a few days, without food. I, I don't always feel like it. I didn't say you might go for uh, you could go a really long time without getting hangry. But he spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And what was he doing? What's he doing? Well, I think there's a few things that are implied in the text that he was doing. Three things I would tell you. In fact, here's what he was doing. He was spending time in silence and in solitude. The practice of silence and solitude is really rarely practiced. We have notifications for everything. You want to wonder why we have so many problems with ADD and ADHD? It's because there's notifications on everything. There's no silence and solitude ever. That might be something to think about. He spent time praying. And the text is very clear that he spent time fasting. Now, here's the deal. I, I would struggle to go four days. I struggle with a day. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes four hours is hard. But the reality is, he spent these 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And I would think that when he got done, the text says he was hungry, I would think he would be weak. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that when he got to the end of that, he was weaker? Wouldn't you think when he got to the end of that, he'd be struggling? And the very next verse tells us that it was then that the enemy came to him. Why did the enemy come to him then? He thought he would be weak too. Because you see, the enemy believes that it's all just about our bodies. He missed something as well. So I want you to see what happened. Verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He didn't say celery. <laughs> he didn't say carrots. He said Asiago cheese bread, French bread, Italian. You, you get it? Okay. It, 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 it's not like, you, you know, he's tempting him with the good stuff. But then you've got to see Jesus' response, verse 4. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In fact, he's quoting from the Old Testament. See, I would think that Jesus would be weaker. I would think Jesus would have been more prone to give in. What was he tempting him? He's saying, if you really are the Son of God, prove it. Show us. I don't really believe you are. Let's prove it. And Jesus says, listen, <laughs> I'm not giving in to your temptation. Let me tell you, this is how we live. Not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I would have thought he would have been weaker. His preparation actually made him stronger. It prepped him. It got him ready. It made him stronger. Humanly speaking, you and I would be more weak. 
But the time in silence and solitude, the time in fasting and praying made Jesus even more spiritually focused. And here's what you and I need to know and need to understand and apply to our lives if we're going to get in tune with God. Here's the idea. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is actually God, not food. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is actually God, not having my desires met. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God not getting what I want. And when I fast, when I stop, pause, push pause on certain things so that I can focus on what is most important, it gives me the space, the margin, the time to realign my heart with God. And I know that fasting is not popular. It's not always practiced, but I would tell you it is needed. He set aside eating in order to draw near to God. So let me give you a definition of fasting really quick, okay? Fasting is the intentional limiting or removal of specific things for the purpose of increasing our hungering for and or dependence on God. It gives you the time to say no to other things and they might even be good and food is good. And can I just tell you, like when I sit down and I have a, a, I like burgers, they're fine. Give me a steak, okay? Like just, why am I talking about food when we're talking about fasting? But when I sit down and, and, and eat, I am reminded by the food that God is good. I am reminded by, food is not evil. Don't mishear me, okay? But sometimes we intentionally limit ourselves so that we can draw close to God. That's the truth. So why would we do this? Why? Well, a couple of things. Can I, I, I want to I wrestle with this question for a minute, okay? First of all, historically speaking, um, fasting took place all throughout the Bible, Okay? You, you, can read, you can read about Moses fasting. You read about Elijah fasting. You can read in the book of Esther. Esther's crying out to God because she knows that all of her people are about to be eliminated. You can read about Nehemiah. You can read about David. You can read all throughout Scripture uh, people fasting. It was happening regularly. If you were a first century Jew, if you grew up within Judaism or in Israel in the first century, you would fast two times a week. Do you know that? You would fast every Monday and every Wednesday. That's just the way it was, a time of drawing near to God. Even historically speaking, historical Christianity has always fasted. The 40 days leading up to Easter, we call it Lent. That was traditionally a time of fasting. This is where the practice of Ramadan has become adopted by the Islamic faith. They took this idea from within Christianity. Ramadan is a time where for for 30 days, 29 to 30 days, depending on the the, the moon cycles, you will intentionally not eat food from sunup to sundown, and then you break fast at sundown. We had neighbors in Kansas City who were, were um, practiced Islam. We would, we would get engaged with them in that, not to worship you know, that idea, but we would spend time with them and then break fast with them. This has been practiced for millennia now. And for some reason, we've let it go. And maybe it's possible that we're missing out. Fasting reminds you and me 
that what we need is God. And frankly, I can spend a lot of days thinking that what I need is to figure things out myself and to fix things myself. And fasting breaks me of that. So why do we do this? Well, it gives us clarity. It gives us dependence upon God. Imagine if Adam and Eve in that moment had fasted and prepped and they would have had clarity that the fruit, even though it looked good, God had said no. And they would have realized that God in and of himself was way better than any fruit. Imagine. Imagine what would happen if you and I would adopt this practice. That's why we'd fast. Not only that, Jesus says a lot about fasting himself. Did you know that? He does. Matthew chapter 6. Let me show you. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, Jesus, Jesus is saying this, when you fast. I love that it says that. It doesn't say if you fast. When? Jesus assumes I will fast. Jesus assumes you will fast. He says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. People wanted to go around looking as if they were fasting, so everybody would be like, oh man, they're really spiritual. Woo! I want to be like them someday. Don't do that. Then he goes on in verse 17, this is what he says. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So, two things about fasting and why we should consider this. Number one, Jesus assumes you will do it. Number two, he already knows you're going to struggle with it. So he gives you instructions on what to do when you struggle. Don't draw attention to yourself. Okay? He's... Put some product in your hair. Ladies, it's okay to use that makeup. Okay, guys, too, I guess. I don't know, you know, but, you know, whatever. No, I'm just saying. He's saying, don't make yourself look as if that's what you're doing because the point is not to draw attention to you, but the point is to get your focus on him. So Jesus assumes we'll fast, and Jesus assumes we might struggle. So let me go back to that question. Why? Why might we do this? Why would we do this? Okay, can I give you an illustration? You ever gotten home from work? Parents in the room? Ever gotten home from work? You haven't had your phone all day, you pull up your phone, you got 37 notifications, you're looking at it, and you're like, oh my word, I gotta text all these, start texting all these people back, and all of a sudden your child comes up to you and is like, mom, I gotta tell you, I have a child who can talk literally that fast. I'm not kidding, Okay. Have you ever, in that instant, while you're texting back, ignored your child? Now, you don't have to, let's not, we don't have to say it here. Okay. I'll say it for you. I have. How does that happen? It happens because I'm distracted. Fasting gives me the opportunity to remove distractions. Fasting is an invitation to remove the distractions or the desires that can, obstruct, that can obstruct our desire for God. God knows we need some time to be less distracted, right? So this is why we fast. Now let me take you back to Jesus, okay, all the way back to Matthew chapter 4. Because fasting creates some space. It creates time. 
You don't realize how much time you spend eating, thinking about eating, preparing food, getting things ready, going shopping. You don't realize how much time you spend on that. Fasting creates time and space. What do we do with that time and space? Well, let me show you what happens if we use that time and space. Well, verse 11 shows us, okay? Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Listen, if ever there is an ultimate verse that's like, not today, Satan, boom. It's right here. How did that happen? He fasted, and in the midst of his fasting, he used his time for what? Any ideas? Prayer. Prayer. So here's what we do. Fast gives us a fast gives us the time to recognize our need for God, and then we fill it with prayer. Prayer fills the void that fasting creates. Now, did you catch that? Drawing near to God allowed God to draw near to him, and resisting the devil resulted in the devil fleeing. And so this is how we get in tune with God. We, we fill the void of our time with prayer. Let me show you an example of a time where Jesus, well, Jesus in the, the, at the last meal of his physical life, right after he spent the next two days, probably not intentionally, unintentionally fasting. Do you know that? He had his last meal with, with, his, with the disciples, and then after that, he didn't get to eat again. At least it's not recorded that he, he did. What does he do in that time? Let me show you. Matthew 26 describes it. He went to a garden, and he prayed. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken, taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He prays. He has something heavy on his heart, something big, something he's struggling with. God, please take it away. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you just needed God to intervene on your behalf? You needed God to fix something in your family? You needed God to fix something in you? You needed God to fix something in a child? You needed God to fix something in a spouse? You needed God to fix something at your work. He goes, he falls on his face, and he says, God, please take this. But then he ends by saying, nevertheless, you know what's best. So I'll leave it with you. And here's the, here's the heavy thing, the thing that's I mean, fleshly speaking, I wrestle with. Prayer is an invitation for me to tune my heart to God's. It's an invitation for me to say, God, this is really what I want, but I know you know best. God, this is really where I want to be, but God, I know you are bigger and stronger and you know more. Prayer gives me that opportunity to say, okay, God, please, please do something. Please move, but, but whatever you decide, I just want to be in step with you. And this is what hard, is hard. Sometimes God's answer is not what you want at the beginning. But I, has found, I have found that after I got years and years down the road, God knew best. That's hard. Prayer is an invitation to tune my heart to God's. Now look at what happens in the rest of this uh, Matthew 26 passage, okay? Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping, um, which if, 
if you've ever tried to, you know, spend a decent amount of time in prayer, you've probably struggled with this. I've struggled with this. I don't know why I woke up. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning. I don't know why. Wide awake. And I was like, all right, cool. I got some extra time. I'll go pray. I went. I sat there. I mean, I was wide awake. You ever have those moments you wake up and you're just like, boom, hello, you know, wide awake. I went, sat out uh, on the couch, started to pray. I was instantly asleep. Like, come on. So let's not think that these disciples are real different than us. They're not. He asked them to pray. They fell asleep. He said, couldn't you men keep watching with me for one hour, he asked. One hour. One hour in prayer. Right? And he goes on in verse 41. He said, watch and pray. Why do we pray? Watch and pray. Why do we watch and pray? Here's why. So that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the whole point of fasting and praying, recognizing that that the, the body, the flesh, it is weak, and we have to bring it into submission to God. Then verse 42 tells us this. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So we fast to remove distractions, to have a time of intentional time of connecting with God. Then we fill that void with prayer, which is an invitation to tune our hearts to God, but it's also an invitation to do what Jesus did. He has his desires. He knew he was about to go to the cross. He knew he was about to face terrible pain, the worst of which we can't even describe. It was, it was the, you know, God having to turn his back on Jesus. Okay? Because he was taking upon him my sin and, and your sin. Okay? And yet, what does Jesus do knowing all of that? He says, please take it away, but if not, I trust you, I'm laying it. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken, I want your will to be done. Prayer is not only an invitation to tune our hearts to God, but it's an invitation to lay our desires before God and pick up His. Can we pause there for a second? I would venture in a room like this, God has been putting on some of y'all's hearts some things that He wants you to pick up. There's something that He's asking you to do, and it's uncomfortable, and it's painful. I wonder if you could go to him in prayer and say, Lord, I, I don't know about this, but, but, but I'll do it. That's what prayer does. So if we're going to get our hearts in tune with God, we have to intentionally recognize that if something can capture our attention, it captures us. So we need to create space where we, we aren't being driven by what we can see and what we want and what we feel. We do that through fasting. You're probably going to have to put your phone away. You're probably going to have to turn, the, turn, turn some things off. You're probably going to have to put on the, you know, do not disturb and listen and pray. So let me ask you a question, and I'll leave you with this. What desires... What desires crowd out your desire for God? They could be good desires. Desires for a relationship, desires for financial security, 
desires to be respected, to be loved, to be cared for, desires for, for, for a, a marriage, a kid, desires for a job, desires for a promotion. It could be any number of desires. They could all be very good desires. But the reality is that when they capture our attention, they capture us. If those desires are crowding out your desire for God, maybe it's time for a fast. And maybe it's time to lay them before God so that you can get back in harmony with God. Now, here's what I want to give you, okay? I want to give you a tool. We've created a tool that you can take home. We have them back at the Welcome Center. If you go out the doors and to the left is our Welcome Center, and we have this tool. It looks like this. It's just a fasting guide. It walks through the purpose of fasting, walks through some of the parameters of fasting, and then it gives you a couple of steps. You can, you can, you know, eliminate something. You can spend time praying, and you can commit yourself to this fast, Okay? This is something I would encourage you, grab one. It's just a resource, okay? Fast does not, oh, by the way, can I tell you something? Fast does not have to be 40 days and 40 nights. And some of you are just like, oh, praise God. Yes, no, no. It could be a fast from a meal. It could be a fast for a day. It could be repetitive. It could be in a number of things. But I just wonder, what if you tried it? What would happen? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen in your home? What would happen in this church? What would happen? Can I share with you my last experience with, with an extended fast? The last time I had an extended fast, and I'm sorry I'm talking about this, but it was right before we moved here. About nine months ago. We met with our small group, some of the dearest people in the world to us at that time. We met with them, and we had a, a, a specific time of fasting and then gathering and praying. And I took notes over what I was praying over. Can I share with you what I was praying for? God, I have a lot of fears. Fears about my future. Fears about our home. We couldn't find a home. I have fears about whether or not we're going to see lives changed there. God, I have fears about my kids. God, I want to hunger and thirst for you. God, please give me one more person here in Kansas City that can come to know Christ before I leave. That's what I prayed over. Can I tell you something? Let's just go through this. God provided a home the day we moved here. The day we moved here, our home went on the market. You call that what you want. I call that God. Do you know that we've seen nine people trust Jesus Christ this year alone at Bridgewater Vestal? I call that God. We're praying for 20. I call that God. Do you know that this room is filled with some people that God has been absolutely changing their lives in the last several months. I call that God. Do you know that right before I moved, we got to see a gal named April trust Jesus Christ and get baptized in the weeks right before we moved. 
I'm not saying it's a magic pill. I'm just saying give it a try and let's see what God will do. Father, thank you. Thank you for how much you love us and how patient you are with us. And thank you that you give us tools so that we can draw near to you. You don't just tell us, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You give us tools. And this, this process of fasting and praying is, is an incredible tool for us to be able to, to, to bring our hearts in line with you. I want that. And I want that for these people because I love them. And I know you love them. So God, I pray that we would consider just trying, just giving it a try and seeing what you will do. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.